Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad that you could join us today. You know, we have such a great variety of guests on this show. And today, um, I'm not sure that we've ever had a doctoral candidate on the show before, but today we have Adam Smargan from the University of Delaware. He's working on a on a thesis, his doctoral thesis, that is really interesting. It's something that, honestly, I never thought about. And that is how much of your carbon footprint is determined by drinking carbonated beverages. You know, we think about tracking our carbon footprint, whether it's of our company, of our home, of our region, by things like energy use, transportation, and manufacturing. But today, Adam is going to be talking about his dissertation, and that is, what is this other source of carbon emissions that we, a lot of us really do participate in, and that is artificially carbonated beverages. Now, this is really cool. Adam got to meet the chairperson, just briefly, of the IPCC. A lot of us have heard of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And the chairperson, Dr. Pachari, uh, was at the University of Delaware, and Adam got a chance to pitch in the idea real quick. And he said, you know, I haven't heard of any other studies about this kind of carbon emission study. So definitely pursue that, Adam. And we're so excited to have Adam on today. He's going to be telling us about his dissertation and revealing this source of, of carbon in our lives that maybe we need to be thinking about. Welcome to Go Green Radio, Adam. I'm so glad you could join us. Well, thank you. I am pleased and honored to be here. Well, won't you please begin by telling our listeners how you decided to study the carbon in artificially carbonated beverages? I mean, what kind of piqued your interest in this topic? Well, first of all, I'm an environmental academic. I enjoy the study of problems relating to sustainability on the college level. I've studied many different environmental issues, including recycling and waste management, agricultural economics, green purchasing, energy efficiency, uh, the proliferation of renewable energy sources, and, of course, climate change. Uh, For this topic, it started when I was living near Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and I went to Red Hook Brewery, which is a wonderful restaurant and brew pub in Portsmouth. I went on the tour at Red Hook, and the first thing mentioned by the tour guide is the process of brewing. Carbon dioxide is released in the brewing process. Some of it goes into the atmosphere, and some of it goes into the beer itself. That's how beer is carbonated. Well, I missed the rest of the tour because I was busy scribbling in my pocket notebook about this idea about, gee, I wonder if... Uh, I wonder if we can offset the CO2 in beer. So I brought it back to the University of New Hampshire, where I was a graduate student at the time, and I brought it to the attention of a number of professors, including Dr. Andy Rosenberg, 
who told me, no, you can't do beer because uh, the process of manufacturing beer is carbon neutral in and of itself. There are hops and barley in beer. Well, those are plants, and plants respirate. They take in CO2 and breathe out oxygen. So while the hops and barley are alive, they take in CO2, and then that CO2 is released in the brewing process. But he said, well, what about soda? Because that's artificially carbonated. And I looked at him and I said, thank you, <laughs> because that kind, of set the, uh, that kind of set things in motion. Uh, and I've been slowly but steadily trying to find as much information as I can about uh, the, uh, the process of carbonating beverages and where the carbon comes from and so on, and certainly we'll get to uh, much of those details during the uh, bulk of this interview. How fascinating, because it's really the difference between naturally and artificially carbonated beverages. Very interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more, Adam, because uh, that, this is a part of mine and my family's daily lives. Uh, you know, I, I think this is really a super topic. Now, you're a research associate for the University of Delaware Center for Energy and Environmental Policy. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the CEEP and some of the other projects that you've worked on? Go into a little bit more depth. Certainly. Well, the Center for Energy and Environmental Policy, or CEEP, C-E-P, it's not only a research facility, but it's also a degree-granting division of the University of Delaware. It was established in 1980, and uh, it is at the forefront for interdisciplinary graduate education, research and advocacy in energy and environmental policy. The faculty and research staff are from every corner of the world with backgrounds in a variety of disciplines, including economics, sociology, geography, political science, philosophy, engineering, urban planning, and environmental studies. And SEEP's student body is also diverse culturally and intellectually. I have classmates from all over the U.S. and all around the world. And uh, students at SEEP put a premium on critical thinking and analysis, and they address a wide spectrum of issues from climate change to energy transformation, from environmental justice to indigenous rights, and from sustainable development to water equity. SEEP provides students with a range of opportunities to follow their own research interests within degree programs that range from the bachelor's degree to the doctorate. Let me give you an example of one of the projects I've worked on this academic year. It's specific to a relatively new Delaware law called virtual net metering. And virtual net metering says that if any person, organization, or company owns a certain minimum amount of land, then there are financial incentives uh, set up by the state for you to put a solar farm on your land, to collect energy from the sun, to use a certain percentage of that energy for yourself, and to sell back a certain percentage to the grid. However, you can also sell back another percentage to any other person or organization or company. The reasoning for this law is simple. Fossil fuels will eventually run out, and this law will help ease the transition from a fossil fuel-based economy to one based on renewable sources of energy. This law is also in place in about a dozen states and in a number of foreign countries. Uh, one more thing about SEEP. It's led by Dr. John Byrne. He is a distinguished professor of energy and climate policy at the University of Delaware. He has contributed to Working Group 3 of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, since 1992. And because of that, he is one of thousands in the IPCC that shared the 2007 Nobel Peace Prize with Al Gore. Wow. You know, I'm, 
I don't want to divert too much from what we're going to be talking about today Certainly. with uh, your dissertation, but I'm really interested in that law that you mentioned because I live in the state of California, mm-hmm. and one of the things that a lot of people have talked about is exactly that type of legislation, which would allow people who have the capital means, the money, mm-hmm. to invest in more renewable energy than they can actually use to actually be able to sell that back. Currently in California, the legislation is such that if you had the money, whether you're a company or an individual, to to put up and, and to install more renewable energy sources than you actually could use, mm-hmm. you all you can do, the best you can hope for is to turn the meter backwards. You can't sell it. And so it, mm-hmm. it really is sort of a, a disincentive to put in as much renewable energy as you can afford to. Um, and so that, that's a really that's a really interesting project you've worked on. Adam. That's, that's cool. Maybe we'll have to have you on another time to talk about that one. Well, let's get into the details of your dissertation project. Mm-hmm. First of all, so the fizz in our carbonated drinks, is that the same substance that we hear scientists label as carbon emissions? Is it a greenhouse gas? And do you think most consumers know the difference, know what they're dealing with there? Uh, well, yes, it is indeed a greenhouse gas. Carbon dioxide is what makes these beverages carbonated or fizzy. I mean, there are over three dozen greenhouse gases, but the major ones are water vapor, carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide, and hydrofluorocarbons. All these increase the atmosphere's ability to trap infrared energy and thus affect the climate in a way that can be harmful to life on Earth. And generally speaking, carbon dioxide is considered to be the most important greenhouse gas. As far as whether or not consumers know that, generally speaking, I think the answer is no. Uh, Every time I tell people that this is what I'm studying and this is what my dissertation is on, the general reaction I get is, oh, I never thought of that. But Mm -hmm. it is indeed carbon dioxide in, uh, in all these various carbonated beverages. Interesting. And where exactly, if it's an artificially carbonated beverage, where does that carbon come from in order to be injected into the beverage? Mm-hmm. Well, carbonated beverages are made up of three things, water, syrup, and CO2. The CO2 is injected into a syrup solution. Manufacturers of carbonated beverages, such as Coke and Pepsi, get CO2 canisters shipped to them by truck in pressurized metal containers. There are many companies around the world in the industrial gas industry that fill and sell these pressurized metal containers. Examples include air gas, air liquid, and air. Well, these companies are not removing CO2 from the atmosphere. They're not sucking it out of the air. Less than four-tenths of one percent of the atmosphere is made of CO2. They're creating it from other gases they have, and by using large-scale chemical reactions, ostensibly in very large clean rooms, to get the necessary amount of carbon dioxide they need. Also, CO2 can be produced from other sources, such as the thermal decomposition of calcium carbonate and also as a byproduct of manufacturing sodium phosphates. It's also a byproduct of fermentation, as I mentioned earlier in the Red Hook story. So this isn't like they're just displacing carbon from one natural source to an artificial source and just sort of moving the carbon around. They're actually producing more carbon dioxide. Is that correct? That is correct. Now, there are some... um, companies in this industry that will capture it from coal-fired power plants. And that's terrific because certainly, um, you know, it's like the saying, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And a lot of work has been done to try and offset the CO2 coming from fossil fuel power plants. Uh, Nonetheless, um, the vast majority of CO2 that's in carbonated beverages is being manufactured. There's a net uh, creation of CO2 for the industry. 
Wow. That's really something. You know, that's, again, something that as your average everyday consumer, even though I, I live and breathe green, I never considered the impact uh, you know, of this consumer choice, mm-hmm. that we're actually consuming something that's producing even more carbon. Um, I think that's pretty amazing. Um, you know, we're going to be taking a quick commercial break, Adam, but when we come back, I want to talk to you more about the process uh, that, that we go through, the manufacturing, to take this carbon that is artificially manufactured and, and put into the beverages and a little bit more about that process. Uh, but we're going to take a quick commercial break here, folks. Don't go away. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Would you like to improve your emotional balance and mental performance? Of course, everyone would like to achieve that state of balance and be at the top of their game. But where do you start? Tune in to My Mind, My Health with your host, Dr. Vernon Barksdale. Dr. Barksdale has spent over 30 years researching and implementing strategies to impact health and well-being. Take a journey into the science behind how we feel and experience life and the transcendent aspects of that experience via connection to our spiritual side. Tune in Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, folks. Today we're joined, if you're just joining us, we are joined by Adam Smargan. He is a doctoral candidate at the University of Delaware, and he has got the most interesting dissertation project that he's working on, and that is talking about the the carbon impact and maybe carbon offsets that that could be realized related 
related to the artificially carbonated beverage industry. Now, I never thought about this, honestly. And, and for the last 10 years of my life, besides being a mom, all I think about is going green. And yet, this is just something I never thought about. When I open a soda or other carbonated beverage, I just never considered the carbon footprint of that. And so Adam's going to be educating us even more about this today. In the last segment, we left off with a revelation that uh, you know a lot of the carbon or much of the, the carbonated beverage industry gets its carbon from gas companies that are actually creating carbon dioxide to carbonate the beverages. Some of the companies are, uh, as Adam mentioned, recovering carbon dioxide from fossil fuel-fired power plants, but a good deal of the carbon that we find in our in our beverages um, that are fizzy and bubbly, we love that stuff, um, is actually artificially created carbon, and it's, and it's a greenhouse gas. Now, Adam, when carbonated beverages are being produced... Is there carbon actually released into the atmosphere during the manufacturing process, or is it just released when we open the beverage? Actually, it's both, but the carbon dioxide released during the manufacturing process is actually more specific to industrial ecology and less about the CO2 in the beverage. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, To answer your other part, carbon dioxide is indeed released when we open a can or bottle of a carbonated beverage. You hear that sound when you open it. However, very little of the CO2 in the container is released when you open it. When you drink a carbonated beverage, when you drink a carbonated beverage, all of it goes into your stomach, including all the CO2 bubbles. However, human stomachs cannot digest carbon dioxide, and so we burp it up or belch it out of our stomachs and out of our bodies, and it thus enters the atmosphere. Now, back to the first part: uh, carbon dioxide is released during the manufacturing process. Um, I'm going to be doing additional research in regards to the total carbon footprint of the entire industry. And to illustrate this, let us follow the path of a cola nut from the cola trees, which are native to the tropical rainforests of Africa. Carbonated beverage companies use large-scale mechanized agricultural operations to grow and harvest cola nuts for their colas. Not to mention lemons and limes for Sprite and 7-Up, sassafras for root beer, ginger rhizomes for ginger ale, and so on. Well, most mechanized agricultural machines run on fossil fuels, and the process of burning fossil fuels is a major source of industrial greenhouse gases. Once the cola nuts are harvested, they're transported by truck to a manufacturing facility. Well, that truck needs gasoline to operate, and the manufacturing facility uses electricity that likely comes from the burning of coal. Uh, I should also note that other raw materials are transported to the manufacturing facility. They include water, sugar, and or high fructose corn syrup, other flavorings, and certainly aluminum, glass, and plastic for packaging. Uh, the products are manufactured, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, and uh, they're manufactured and bottled. And the, fi- and the final product in bottles and cans is sent by truck from these facilities to stores and restaurants all over the world. And again, these fleets of delivery trucks run on gasoline, a fossil fuel. And the agricultural products of cola nuts, lemons, limes, and so on, these are fruits and vegetables. They're in the plant kingdom. Again, plants respirate. They breathe in CO2 and breathe out oxygen. Therefore, any comprehensive greenhouse gas emissions inventory from the carbonated beverage industry must have a subtractive element in the calculations. And uh, a final note, besides manufacturing full bottles and cans, these facilities also manufacture syrup, soda syrup. Boxes of these syrups are sent to places that have soda fountains. 
And soda fountains essentially are machines that combine syrup with water from that location's plumbing system and with carbon dioxide, which is purchased separately in a smaller metal container. It's combined in the right ratio to produce a tasty beverage. This means that businesses with soda fountains are also unwittingly contributing to climate change. This includes restaurants, gas stations, convenience stores, sports venues, corporate food operations, and campus food operations, all unwittingly contributing to climate change. So what you're saying is, I mean, and this is really, again, you're really opening my eyes to this issue, Adam, that the carbon footprint of the carbonated beverage industry is spread out in a multi-continent fashion. I mean, from the point where it's harvested to the point where it's delivered to the consumer, Mm -hmm. carbon's being released all the way. Yes, yes, that is correct. And I'm not knocking them. I'm not, I'm not telling them that they shouldn't do this. And I also want to illustrate that I'm not interested in banning carbonated beverages. I drink them, you drink them, and Coca-Cola's most recognized brand name in the world. Uh, all I'm suggesting is that something needs to be done, just a few small tweaks here and there in regards to how they do business, and uh, things can go on and they can produce their products more sustainably. Well, and you're also talking about offset solutions, which we're going to get to in just a little bit. Um, so, you know, again, I think that's a va- very important point to bring up at this point. We're not saying, you know, we shouldn't be drinking carbonated beverages. Just simply saying, let's measure the impact and then offset it. And that's a very sensible approach. Yeah. Now, you have some figures on the estimated amount of CO2 that's been released into the atmosphere as a result of past consumption of carbonated beverages. Talk about that data and why the average consumer should care about that amount of carbon released. In other words, what is the effect of that carbon from past beverage consumption to the atmosphere? Well, admittedly, the amount of CO2 that is emitted into the atmosphere from carbonated beverages is very small as compared to the larger sources such as cars and homes and factories. Um, I refer to the cars and homes and factories as the low-hanging fruit, the easy sources to identify, the larger sources. I say that what, what, what I'm doing here is, I kind of call it hard-to-reach fruit. Um, mm-hmm. However, if we as a society are committed to solving the comprehensive problem known as climate change, every little bit counts. Uh, the data I have comes from a website called globaldrinks.com, and they reported that 14% of 1.2 trillion liters of all beverages consumed in 1998 were carbonated beverages. That's 168 million liters of carbonated beverages in that year. Wow. But, yeah, five years later, 14% of 1.4 trillion liters of all beverages consumed in 2003 were carbonated beverages. That's 196 million liters. I will spare you the crunching of numbers, but, <laughs> I, yeah, but I constructed a simple model to predict the total amount of CO2 emitted into the atmosphere from carbonated beverages from 1969 to 2014. A predicted amount for 2014. Adding that all up for that 40-plus year span is over 3 million metric tons of carbon dioxide. That's 3 megatons. 3 megatons of carbon dioxide. That's an Al Gore number. Wow, Adam, that's an incredible number. Now, if we were going to plant trees to capture that amount of carbon, to sequester it in trees, how many would we need to plant, and how would we do that? The general rule of thumb that I've been familiar with since 2003 is that one tree can offset three tons of carbon dioxide in one year, 
If we wanted to offset all the CO2 from carbonated beverages since 1969 in one shot, one million trees would do the trick in only one year. Wow. So how, what would be the process of actually, you know, doing that? I mean, do we have the resources to plant that many trees? Um, generally speaking, uh, we do. It's all a matter of funding. It comes down to who's going to pay for it, who's going to pay for the saplings, who's going to pay for the land, who's going to pay for the people to properly manage these forests of trees, um, probably uh, sustainable foresters, and it will have to be managed for many decades. Now, based on what you can see as the projected growth of the carbonated beverage industry over the next couple of decades, um, what does that look like in terms of this ratio of beverages consumed to, you know, offsetting through tree planting or what have you? I mean, what, what kind of growth are you projecting, and what are some of the solutions to offset that growth? Well, certainly the projected growth of the carbonated beverage industry is well, soft drinks are very popular. Uh, globally, growth in beverage consumption remains solid and steady. In the past five years, commercial beverage volumes have risen between 2.3% and 2.7% annually. The volume of all ready-to-drink beverages reached an estimated 1.4 trillion liters in 2003, like I said. Mm-hmm. Soft drinks have been one of the fastest-growing sectors. Coca-Cola is the undisputed king of soft drinks. It is sold in over 200 countries with over 900 bottling facilities around the world and a fleet of over 100,000 vehicles. Uh, however, Pepsi-Cola is not far behind in several world markets, and in some places in the U.S., Pepsi outsells Coke. Um, it, you asked about uh, how to offset that. Well, if we did indeed plant one million trees to offset all that CO2, and if these trees were properly managed for multiple decades by sustainable foresters, ostensibly paid by the Environmental Management Division of these carbonated beverage companies, then I believe all that CO2 would indeed be offset. Wow. I mean, what you're talking about is kind of a combination of catching up with the carbon that's already been emitted by the industry Mm -hmm. and then projecting forward, you know, and I... So that, that could be quite costly. Any idea what that would actually cost the industry? Uh, well, uh, as I'll uh, reveal uh, later, um, the cost will be borne by uh, consumers for all future uh, consumption, but I believe that the, um, the industry itself should have to pay for all past uh, emissions. And... Um, Admittedly, it will be uh, a lot of money, but if they're going to do the right thing, they can do it. And they can also, uh, I hate using this phrase, but to put a spin on it, you know, to market it effectively uh, with a, a good advertising uh, uh, promotion to illustrate that, you know, we as a, a carbonated beverage company, we've been doing sustainable activities now for 10 years or 15 years, and this is one more thing we have decided to do on our continued path towards greater sustainability. Well, and we know that these companies have sort of a predisposition to that sort of mindset or that sort of, you know, community benefit. In fact, at the very beginning of Keep America Beautiful, which came around, you know, something like 50 years ago, at the beginning it was a lot of these same companies who didn't want to see 
the packaging for their products as litter. And so they began a litter abatement program, which was Keep America Beautiful. So, you know, and a lot of these companies have also been very involved with, for instance, the National Recycling Coalition to get their packaging recycled. So I think there's reason to hope that these companies would be involved in an effort of some degree uh, Mm -hmm. along these lines, just simply because they've They've given us evidence in the past that they care about their environmental footprint. So that's great news. Yes, indeed. It is, it is uh, certainly a little bit having to do with public relations, you know, how the public views these companies. And uh, gratefully, it's not just lip service. There are a number of major corporations that produce, besides an annual report, they also produce an environmental annual report listing the improvements they have made every year in energy efficiency, water efficiency, uh, recycling rates, and so on. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea with these publications is that they are trying to illustrate that all of these uh, amounts of money or, or water or energy or whatever has increased every year mm-hmm. so that the public can hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think we're all in agreement that we're moving in the right direction, and people don't ask companies to do all of this overnight. So it's, of it's a process. Not. Well, folks, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, there's much more with Adam and this issue of the carbon footprint of what you drink and, and how we might be able to offset that um, as a society. So don't go away. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Are you a leader who needs to become better and more consistent? Are you someone who's trying to be a leader but can't seem to get to that level despite seemingly doing everything right? Tune in to Leadership every day with your host, Marguerite Calloway. Marguerite and her guests will spotlight proven leadership traits, capabilities, and experiences designed to help you become a leader or a better leader. Listen for Leadership Every Day, Tuesdays at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 1600 hours in South Africa, on the Voice America Variety Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. 
Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We have Adam Smorgan, a doctorate uh, candidate at the University of Delaware, on with us today, talking about a really fascinating topic of the carbon footprint of your carbonated beverage choice. Now, Adam, you also deal with public policy research at the University of Delaware, and I'm curious what role, if any, do you think public policy should play in addressing this issue? Well, in my opinion, any solution to this problem should be executed on a two-pronged approach. First, we need to offset the CO2 from past consumption, probably by way of uh, massive reforestation efforts to be paid from an ad hoc organization funded by the carbonated beverage companies. Second, we need to offset all CO2 from future consumption, probably by way of a carbon fee or a carbon tax on consumers on future beverage sales. Any costs to the economy of cutting greenhouse costs emissions, like other costs, will ultimately be borne by households. And the easiest mechanism for this is the carbon fee or carbon tax. How much will this carbon tax be? Gratefully, not much. Based on current prices, uh, I have postulated that an appropriate carbon tax is only about one penny for one bottle or one can or one regular-sized soda fountain drink, only about two or three cents for a big gulp, only six or seven cents for a six-pack or a two-liter bottle, and about 12 to 14 cents for a 12-pack. When I was at the University of New Hampshire, I administered a survey on this topic, and the most important question I asked was, if you were at a restaurant, how much more would you be willing to pay per person to offset your meal's contribution to climate change. And it was phrased in a series of yes or no questions, starting with, would you pay a dollar? Yes or no. Would you pay 50 cents? Yes or no. Would you pay 25 cents? And so on, down to a penny. Exactly half of the respondents would pay at least one quarter per meal. 55% would pay a minimum of 20 cents and 73% would pay at least a dime. And that was the minimum amount, I hypothesized, that an average American would pay. Also, instead of, uh, instead of hiding the cost of the offsetting program and the food prices, many think it should be listed right on the bill as a carbon fee, listed right underneath the tax line item. Uh, imagine, if you will, getting a receipt from a restaurant with the following line items, main dish, side dish, beverage, tax, carbon fee, and total. This helps to educate the public and hopefully get them used to the concept of the need for someone to pay for offsetting programs and that it's not nearly as expensive as some people might have you believe. Mm-hmm. Um, applying the idea of this carbon fee to the general sales for carbonated beverages in stores and vending machines is actually pretty easy. Customers will grumble, to be sure, but the loss of revenue from the marginal number of customers who now claim the price is too high because of the carbon fee is negligible. All grocery bills in bottle bill states already have the cash register technology and computerized inventory systems to automatically charge the customer five cents per container or 10 cents in Michigan. This technology can be easily adapted to charge an additional carbon fee. 
Mm-hmm. And vending machines are even easier to simply raise the price on the carbonated beverage choices by a nickel. Admittedly, some vending machine operators may be tempted to do an across-the-board price increase on all beverages in the machine, regardless of carbonation. For instance, iced tea, fruit punch, and lemonade are not carbonated, but they are frequently sold in vending machines, and so they may still get the price increase. This extra money can go towards reforestation efforts, machinery overhauls, and zero-carbon fleets and buildings. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting because, you know, a lot of consumers, like you said, they're um – they're used to seeing a recycling fee or, you know, something along those lines. Um, Uh It's not anything new, really. Now, besides public policy, Adam, what are some other solutions to offset the carbon emissions of the carbonated beverage industry? I mean, if we can't get public policymakers, um, you know, to to get behind this, then then what? What What are some other solutions? Well, I'd like to illustrate the difference between environmental policy and environmental management. Environmental policy is a division of public policy where people say, well, there ought to be a law, and they institute laws and rules for society to to follow. This includes, at the very least, compliance with regulations. Environmental management, on the other hand, is largely a voluntary initiative taken up by companies and corporations to go beyond compliance. And their motivation is twofold, corporate social responsibility and the potential for either saved costs or increased profits. There may not be um, pressure uh, from public policy to, uh, to do the right thing, but there, but there is pressure from other companies, uh, especially competitors. If you have, for instance, if you have ten major carbonated beverage manufacturers and five of them agree to do this, you can bet the other five are going to follow suit because they won't be viewed as being as green as the first five. I see. Well, yeah, as soon as somebody starts to actually say, this is what we've been doing, it kind of pressures the whole industry, right? That is correct. Ah, gotcha. Now, tell us about the companies that supply the carbon to soft drink manufacturers. Have any of them already taken any steps to offset their products' emissions, and how do you think they will react to your study? Well, as mentioned before, there are many companies around the world in the industrial gas industry that fill and sell pressurized metal containers of carbon dioxide. Uh, these include air gas, air liquid, and Praxair. I had the opportunity to visit Air Liquide facility in northern Delaware about a year ago, and they have several beverage companies as clients, including Coke, Pepsi, and seltzer manufacturers. Their approximate annual income from selling carbon dioxide around the world is over $422 million. Wow. And, as of, <laughs> and that's worldwide. As of a year ago, the average market price for CO2 from Air Liquide and their competitors to CO2 clients is about $100 per ton of liquid CO2. And to my knowledge, none of these companies in the industrial gas industry have taken any steps to offset their emissions. Uh, how will they react to my study? Probably in one of two ways, happy or angry. <laughs> I think they, yeah. I, uh, I think they'd be angry because public policy may force their products to get a carbon tax, which usually, reduce, or usually leads to reduced sales. I think they'd be happy because I'd be willing to work with them under the, office, uh, under the auspices of profit-focused environmental management to show them how they can incorporate this into part of their overall sustainable goals and perhaps also cut costs and or realize more profit, perhaps as part of a marketing effort to illustrate that they are committed to sustainability. 
You know, Adam, I can't help but think about all of the carbon offset programs out there. Some of them are very reputable, some of them are not, um, who would be salivating at the chance to absorb the funding to offset the carbonated beverage industry. Um, you know, I, there are a lot of organizations out there, and, and I just wonder um, what they would be thinking. I'm sure a lot of them will be first in line um, to help fund your study and then to offer their solution. Um, that's going to be a really interesting uh, upshot, I think, of your study, Adam. How do you think the giants of the industry, like Coke and Pepsi, will react to your study? Any idea? Well, again, I think they'd be either happy or angry, and largely for the same reasons. If their products receive a carbon tax, their their price goes up, and that usually leads to reduced sales. It's just a simple rule in, in uh, economics. However, I think they'd be happy because, just like with the CO2 suppliers, I'd be willing to work with them under the auspices of profit-focused environmental management to show them how they can incorporate this into part of their overall sustainable goals. Imagine, if you will, a national advertising and marketing campaign from Coke or Pepsi that illustrates their commitment to sustainability. Imagine hearing, this is one more thing we're doing as we march down the path of sustainability. I think that would be fabulous. I think the only thing that's going to be a drawback is if it's not done through public policy. And Coke and Pepsi and the big industry giants are doing this, but the, you know, the knockoff brands of these carbonated beverages are not doing it, and hence their price doesn't go up. That, that I think, will be the trick. Um, so probably working with industry you know, to, to make this a matter of public policy, much like bottle bills and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. might be the way to go. And admittedly, um, all the knockoff brands, I'm willing to work with them, too. I, again, i got nothing against, you know, a Safeway brand or Walmart brand or Kmart brand. Um, and uh, certainly, because uh, they are certainly large producers and they do have continued sales, because if they didn't have continued sales, they wouldn't be uh, making these products. Uh, but I certainly have uh, all of them in mind. Uh, in regards to uh, trying to do the right thing, trying to do the, trying to produce the greatest good for the greatest number of people. Well, and I think you know that's a noble goal, and I think there are going to be a lot of people out there who will try to help you. And I can't imagine that you know once the industry gets a hold of what you're doing and becomes aware of it, that they won't try to be involved somehow because as we know, even just by virtue of this radio broadcast, um, mm-hmm. through social media, your study can't be varied. <laughs> it's, it's going to come out. People are going to start talking about it. And um, so I think the sooner industry engages, the better. Um, we're going to be taking a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to be asking Adam about what he predicts consumer reaction will be and uh, talking about some ways that he's going to be getting out on the road to talk about this issue and um, what his goals for those, uh, those engagements will be. I'm really excited to hear about this. So, folks, don't go away. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Do you want to be heard? Voice America, the number one Internet talk radio network in the world, has openings for talk show hosts with interesting content. This could happen to you. You will become an instant star. You will establish your credibility and expertise. You will gain international exposure and publicity. You will earn heightened respect and prestige among your peers. You reach a highly targeted audience that is interested in your experience and what you have to offer. You may be able to sell advertising and generate revenue for your show. Your celebrity status will open doors to new opportunities both personally and professionally. And most of all, it's fun. To find out more about this exciting opportunity, go to www.voiceamerica.com and click Host Your Own Show or call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417. Again, 480-294-6417. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We are joined today by Adam Smargan. He is a doctoral candidate at the University of Delaware. We're talking about the carbon footprint of your carbonated beverages. And it's a really interesting topic, honestly, something I had never thought about until I got a letter in the mail from Adam talking about his project, his dissertation project, and I'm so excited to have him on. If you're just joining us and you're thinking, wow, I wish I would have caught the beginning of this show, don't worry, because we're going to air it again on the Green Living Channel of Voice America. You can find that channel by going to voiceamerica.com, clicking on the Green Living Channel, and next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon on the East Coast, we're going to replay this episode once again. So if you didn't catch the beginning, or if you did and you want to advise your friends and colleagues to get on the show and listen to the beginning. That's how you can do it, Green Living Channel of VoiceAmerica.com. Adam, again, thanks for joining us on Go Green Radio. We've been talking about how the, um, the industry may react to your study, but how do you feel that consumers, the average everyday consumer of carbonated beverages, will react to your study? Well, just like the companies, I think consumers would, again, be happy or angry, and, again, largely for the same reasons. Uh, if these sodas get a carbon tax, the prices are going to go up and fewer people are going to buy them. 
But if these products are actively marketed and advertised with sustainability as a prominent element, it will illustrate to customers that these beverage companies are being the responsible corporate neighbor, and they're trying to do well by doing good. And increasing the warm, fuzzy factor of these manufacturers in the eyes of current consumers and potential cons- uh, um, consumers may very well lead to an increase in sales. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's true. And 10 years ago, I'm not sure if that was true. You know, we, there were marketing professionals who were studying low-cost buyers, lifestyles of health and sustainability. And at that time, it was kind of a niche market. But I think mm-hmm. within the last decade, it's really become a more aggressive consumer group. It's become larger. It's become more demanding. And um, even if you look at some of the you know, the bigger groups of consumers, you know, moms and, and those out there who are doing a lot of the family purchases, they are more eco-aware and more willing to put the power of their purse behind companies mm-hmm. that they see as environmentally responsible. Don't you think? Uh, yes, I do. There are a number of uh, commercials, television commercials out there, radio commercials, too, that tout the uh, sustainable elements of their products and of their services, and that's just going to slow the steady growth over time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, Adam, you've got some upcoming speaking engagements. At, um, is it the University of Michigan and uh, out in Denver? Tell us about those groups uh, to whom you'll be speaking and what your goals are for the speeches you've got coming up. It's actually not at the University of Michigan. It's at Michigan State University. That's in about a month. Oh, the Spartans. Uh, yeah, I'm the Spartans. Big fan of the Spartans. <laughs> um, it, it, uh, I was actually born in Michigan, and I have a lot of family uh, and friends who uh, went to U of M and also went to MSU. Um, when they play each other, I cheer for the clock. I, I, I really can't. <laughs> yeah, I really can't pick one, one over another. Anyway, MSU will host the sixth biennial conference of the U.S. Society for Ecological Economics. Uh, put simply, economics is the study of distribution, and ecological economics is a transdisciplinary field of academic research that aims to address the interdependence and coevolution of human economies and natural ecosystems. It's distinguished from environmental economics, which is the mainstream economic analysis of the environment, by its treatment of the economy as a subsystem of the ecosystem and its emphasis upon preserving natural capital. Um, in late August, I will speak in Denver at the conference for the American Chemical Society, the ACS. They have over 161,000 members at all degree levels and in all fields of chemistry and chemical engineering and related fields. It is the world's largest scientific society and one of the leading sources of authoritative scientific information. Their conferences feature an environmental track, and I am pleased and honored to not only speak at the conference but also be one of their newest members. Wow. Yeah, my goal for both conferences is to educate, inform, and generate discussion. I also hope to gain access to more information and to other resources that will assist me in the pursuit of executing and completing this research for my doctoral dissertation at the University of Delaware. Well, that's fantastic. Now, do you expect anybody from the carbonated beverage industry to be in attendance at either of those engagements? Um, that's a very good question. I do not know. There were two carbonated beverage events, essentially, that occurred earlier this year, one in Las Vegas, one in, in New York. I tried very hard to try and attend, but they were for people in the industry only, mm-hmm. uh, so I was effectively shut out. But I shall sally forth and continue on trying to uh, make more contacts uh, in that industry. 
Yep, you got to keep it up because this is a really important topic, Adam. I mean, um, you know, every industry is looking at their environmental footprint and their carbon footprint, um, and this industry, you know, it cannot be an exception, particularly because there is such a huge growth curve on this industry. Um, you know, I mean, Coca-Cola is reaching into some of the most um, difficult areas of in the continent of Africa to reach. I mean, they're drinking Coca-Cola. You know, there's uh-huh. Pepsi, all of this. I mean, just simply because of the, the wide dispersion of this industry, um, I think this is really something that needs to be addressed. Now, Adam, I know that the work that you're doing, you know, doesn't happen for free. It doesn't happen, you know, at, you know, on your free time. This is your work. What kind of support do you need in order to carry this project to fruition? I mean, if we have listeners out there who want to help you, they want to get involved, what are some of the ways that they can be of assistance? Uh, I welcome any listener with interest in research to contact me by way of electronic mail. My email address is smargan at udell.eu. That's S-M as in Mary, A-R-G-O-N as in Nancy, at udell.edu, smargan at udell.edu. And what are some of the things that, that uh, you're going to need? Kind of list us for us the, the resources that you'll need to complete your dissertation. Access to uh, people in the industrial gas industry and the carbonated beverage industry, people who are um, affiliated with the, the major environmental management uh, elements of these of these companies, and a willingness to work with us uh, to try and get this done. Uh, you know, I'm wondering, Adam, have you engaged you know anybody in social media? Uh, I mean, have you kind of uh, dipped your toe into that arena to see if anybody bites? Uh, I haven't yet, but I'm welcome. I, I welcome all all uh, all offers and uh, suggestions. Uh, in regards to uh, social media, I'm happy to to give that a try. Well, and I'll tell you, I know that a lot of our Go Green Radio listeners are very savvy when it comes to social media. In fact, uh, you know, I, I've got some Facebook buddies, some tweets, and people who are out on all various forms of, of social media platform who I know would be able to help with something like this, even to engage the industry itself on their own social media sites. So uh-huh. Go Green Radio listeners, if you can give Adam a hand on that, you know, reach out to him. And if you, you know, if you have trouble getting to him via email, you can reach out to me at gogreenradio at gmail.com, and I will put you in contact with Adam. Now, the final question for you, Adam, if your project is successful, if you complete your dissert- dissertation and reach all of the goals that you've set for yourself, what changes do you hope to see in the carbonated beverage industry? I mean, if you could look into your crystal ball and see the industry two, five, seven years from now, what will change? Well, as I mentioned earlier, any solution to this problem should be executed on a two-pronged approach. First, we need to offset the CO2 from past consumption, and we need to offset all CO2 from future consumption. If this project is successful, then carbonated beverage companies will fund uh, an, uh, an ad hoc organization that will oversee these reforestation efforts managed by sustainable foresters for decades to come. Also, the carbon tax will be implemented for all bottles, cans, and soda fountain drinks, uh, and uh, uh, that money will can also go towards long-term reforestation efforts. The public will be better informed about all the consumption choices they make, 
And carbonated beverage companies and CO2 suppliers will certainly remain in business, will certainly remain very profitable, but they'll also be helping to contribute a bit more to the solution of climate change. Well, you know, there are a number of of industries that are kind of related to this that I can't help but think might be interested. I mean, when you're talking about sustainable forestry, um, you know, the American Forest and Paper Association, a lot of the sustainable forestry folks are members of that trade association. They might be able to help you, and they are very powerful in terms of their lobbying efforts in D.C. If you're talking about the public policy piece, they might be a great partner for you. Um, uh-huh. That's another way that our listeners can help. Folks, if you have suggestions um, for potential funding partners, potential trade industry partners, um, and I'm thinking not just within the carbonated beverage industry, but in those industries that would benefit from the offset tax, um, or the carbon tax, who would be actually planting and managing the trees that would offset that carbon, please reach out to Adam. Give us your email address one more time, Adam. Certainly. I can be reached at smogan at udell.edu. That's S-M as in Mary, A-R-G-O-N as in Nancy, at U-D-E-L dot E-D-U. Great. Well, thanks for joining us, Adam, and thank you to all our Go Green Radio listeners for joining us. Uh, this is a really enlightening topic, and I'm glad that we got to discuss it, Adam. Good luck to you with your dissertation. Folks, thank we've you. got a great show again next week, same time, same place, so be sure to tune in to Go Green Radio then. Until then, have a wonderful weekend. Go Green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.